Amen. You just got seated too quickly. Stand back up. Amen. Everybody doing good? Well, saved, sanctified, full of the Holy Ghost. That's how they used to say it in the old church, right? Amen. I, uh, I'm excited to see Pastor Johanna excited about what God's called her to do. Amen. And that's what we you just need to do what God's called you to do. Do what God's put in your heart to do. And uh, I just felt in my heart all this week to talk to you about destiny. And uh, yours, mine, this nation's. Uh, we looked last week and uh, we talked about does God choose our presidents or do we choose them? And we're so much uh, more intrinsic to God's purpose and plan and will than a lot of folks think they are. Psalm 37, we'll read these two verses and let you be seated. Uh, that whole psalm is just awesome. I recommend the whole Bible, matter of fact, if you need my recommendation. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. How many has got some things you need God to bring to pass in your life? Amen. You're not going to get there without trusting in him. And... Uh, Trust is just the expression of faith. When you're, when I was a younger believer, I would hear this verse quoted, and it was quoted in a very selfish way. In other words, if I would delight myself in the Lord, he'd give me what I want. That's not what it says. That he would give us the desires. The word desire there, D-E, Latin of, sire, father follow me? So of the Father. In other words, the Father will put in you his desires. Your desires will become his desires. Does that make sense to you? Amen. So I want to talk to you this morning in, in, uh, about your destiny. Uh, your destiny is essentially your destination, where you're going as an individual, as a family. Uh, and, and so let's just, let's pray before we get into this. Father, we thank you for putting in our hearts the things that we are to desire. Help us to delight in your will, your plan, and your purpose. That's the only one we'll ever be happy in. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and mercy. By the power of the Holy Spirit, lead everything that's done and said, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Turn around and wave at somebody. I know we still ain't supposed to hug, I guess, but at least you can wave, right? Give them a wave. This has been in my heart this week just to talk to you about this. I think sometimes in the church we have made finding the will of God, your destiny, too difficult. Uh, I want to tell you something. It's not nearly as difficult as you may have thought. A lot of people are, you know, they, they know that God has a plan for their life. I hope you do. I mean, it would be so unnatural for a parent not to have a dream for his children, for their children, right? For parents. It'd be unnatural for a business owner not to have a dream for his business. And it's unnatural for you to not have a dream or a desire for your life. 
And sometimes we, we get so busy praying that God will send the Holy Spirit facts from heaven to us, that he'll write it with his hand on the wall, that he'll send a prophet to scream it at to us or whatever, that we miss that God has already downloaded, if, you, if I can use that term, his plan and purpose in your life. Now, it starts with being born again because you, don't, you can't really understand what your destiny and purpose is until you know who he is, right? You remember when Jesus asked him, he says, who do you say that I am? He had asked him previously, who do men say that I am? And then they said, some of them say you're Elijah, some say Jeremiah, some say one of the prophets. But Jesus said, well, but who do you say I am? And then remember Simon Peter spoke and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commended him for that. He said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not, you didn't get this from reading this. You didn't get this off of Facebook. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter, but my father in heaven revealed who I am to you. And now that you know who I am, now I can tell you who you are. For thou art Cephas, thou art Petros, you are the rock. So God began to reveal his foundational calling. But God didn't reveal it to Peter until Peter knew who he was, who Jesus was. In other words, if you know who Jesus is, you'll better understand who your destiny and purpose. In other words, it's all wrapped up in identity. There really has been a lot of identity theft going on. And a lot of it's taking place in the church, folk. Come on now. You don't, we don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. It's the same thing that happened in the very beginning in the garden. It was an identity crisis. You've got to understand that Adam and Eve didn't, didn't rebel against God in order to commit sin as we know now sin today as we think we know sin today. In other words, they, they weren't trying to do something evil. They, they'd never seen sin. They'd never seen anybody do sin. They'd never read about sin. What they were trying to do was something that was good in their eyes. They got deceived because somewhere they lost the lack of their identity. The serpent said, if you eat of this tree. See, they didn't eat of the tree of evil. They didn't do evil. They didn't lie, cheat, thug, steal. They, they were, that, what they did was trying to be like God. It was, it's admirable today for somebody to say, well, I want to be like God. They, they, they believed a lie that they were not already like God. They believe the lie that you have to physically do something to be like God. In other words, if you do this, if you obey this rule, if you do all these commandments, then you'll be like God. That's religion. That's man's knowledge of good and evil. But it keeps you away from life. The issue is, is life. And so they wanted to be like God. Satan said, if you eat of this tree, you'll be like God. You'll know like God knows. You'll be like God. They believe the lie, that's what plunged us into the mess. That sin entered in and death through sin. It was not knowing that they were already like God because they had been created in the image and the likeness of God. And if you don't know who you are, see, as soon as your, your identity, your destiny is revealed to you, you, you you're going to encounter negativity, you're going to encounter things from the enemy that's going to try to keep you from walking in that that God's called you to. You remember that when Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, he, he, God spoke audibly from heaven. God said, this is my beloved son 
in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had never preached a sermon at this point. Never healed a sick person. Never taught anything as far as we know. None of that. He was a blue-collar worker in the carpenter shop. In fact, he was not even a candidate to be in the ministry. Because you couldn't be in the ministry under the old covenant unless you was a Levite. You couldn't be a priest. You couldn't minister in the sanctuary, in the temple. You, you had to be of the tribe of Levi. But Jesus wasn't even in the running to be in the ministry. Because he was of the tribe of Judah. Which the Hebrew says there has never been anyone in the, in the priesthood who has come from that tribe. You see how God set that up? That'll blow the mind of the religious Jews because they said he can't be a priest. The Bible says he's a high priest. But see, he comes from a different priesthood. The Levitical priesthood was that, that administered and oversaw the law. But the priesthood that Jesus come from is Melchizedek. Most Christians don't even know what that is. But that's your priesthood. That's my priesthood. See, the Levitical priesthood, they were living and dying and burying them and another one would come and another one would come and another one would come. But it was a very temporary priesthood. But Melchizedek is one who has no beginning and no ending and lives forever. It's an unending priesthood. Amen? And when God spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, it was only after that that he began to do Jesus his ministry. See, whatever you do that you, you know, and we're all in the ministry. It may not be standing behind a pulpit like this, but we're, whatever we do, we're in the ministry. But you have to do that and operate in that out of the revelation of who Jesus is. Thou art the Christ, the Christos, the Messiah, the anointed one. That's what Peter got. He, he got that. Then, then God said, now I can tell you who you are. Thou art Petros, Peter. And upon this rock of this revelation, I'll use this revelation of who I am to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now that's a great thing that happened to Peter. You know, blessed art thou for Jesus to brag on you publicly. But right after that, Jesus for the first time begins to tell them that he's going to be crucified and buried and he'll rise from the dead. And Peter responds at that revelation and said, this shall not happen unto you, Lord. Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Let's imagine that we, can, we, have, the, we have the capacity, let me say it that way, to say something brilliant. Anointed of God. And then the next few minutes be spouting out something that's demonic. Right? That's why we need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us and we need to be able to judge those things. That's not, hey, that's not from God. Jesus rebuked him. Notice he didn't say, I rebuke you, Peter. He said, I, he said get behind me, Satan. But he's talking to Peter. Jesus is trying to say, you don't understand, Peter, but what you're saying now, I know you're like really lifted up. You know, it used to be like when God really uses you in a mighty way, he couldn't use you for a long time because you'd be too puffed up. Huh? See, the, the, 
the revelation of God's destiny in your life will bring an attack. So, you know, you, how many's heard this? Well, when God closes one door, he'll open another one, which is true, but there's a hallway, and there's always hell in the hallway. Because you got to get to that other door that's open. <laughs> Good morning. We're glad you're here. And you're going to be challenged. When God called Moses and began to reveal his destiny to him as a deliverer, we won't read all those scriptures. The first thing Moses starts doing is he encounters his own negativity. You're your worst enemy. Remember that famous saying, we found the enemy, it is I. Your enemy is not the devil, it's how you think. That's why the whole Bible, New Testament is filled with the word repent. But the word repent is the Greek word metanoia, which means think differently. If you're going to operate and walk and live in this kingdom, you've got to think differently than the way you've been raised to think. Amen. That's the truth. So, so Moses starts saying, well, I can't talk good. I, I, you know, I stutter. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not a good spokesman. I can't preach good. And then God says, okay, I'll put your brother Aaron by you, and he'll be your prophet, and he'll be your mouthpiece. Well, I'm over this, and, I, and he starts giving God all these excuses. We're, we're, the Bible is filled with that same type of example. When God tries to reveal to Gideon his destiny, he walks in and finds him hiding out in a, in, in a, in a place, uh, wine press, making grain. And, 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 and God says, he walks in through that angelic encounter, and he says to Gideon, You're, you, hey, you mighty man of valor. Gideon has no paradigm for that. I mean, he's looking around to see who he's talking to. And God said, go in. He told Gideon, he said, you're a mighty man of valor. You, you just don't understand it. Go in the strength that you have. We're trying to get God to do something. God's already done it. And in your DNA, if I can say it that way, your spiritual DNA, how about that? You already, God's already imprinted you with your destiny. He's already put it in there. That's why if you delight in the Lord, you'll have a better, you'll be more sensitive to picking up on it. See, I spent agonizing, you know, decade to just, and people would always come to me as a pastor, pastor, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know what God wants me to do. And they would make it just almost like calculus. You just couldn't figure it out. And it came down to, to this, 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 this verse. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. In other words, if you'll just delight your, if you, you'll make the Lord your delight, your heart will not deceive you. How many knows that you got people that'll reach into the old covenant, pull out a verse, take it out of context, and make it something applicable to today, which is totally wrong. Like, for example, that you that now that even though you've been born again, you got a wicked heart and you can't trust it. How many's ever heard that verse quoted in the New Testament church? It's such an inappropriate verse. That don't apply to you. What it's saying is that you can't trust your heart, and yet there's New Testament verses that said to go after your heart. Be led by the Spirit in your heart. That's where, where do we say Jesus lives? In our heart. He's not talking about the physical organ that pumps in our chest. So now when people say, I just don't know what God's will is for my life, here's my response to that. What do you want to do? It's like it never dawned on them that they can do what they want to do. Because you don't have a wicked heart. 
You don't have a heart. You, you've been given, God took out that old stony heart and put a new heart in you. And if, and if God's your delight, then, then God's given you to the desires of your heart. Now see, it's sad that you reduce your Christian life to earthly, temporal things. In other words, that the best you can come up with is, you know, is these things that are going to burn. And I'm not, I'm not demeaning those things. Like, you know, to some Christians, their biggest breakthrough is they got a house. And I'm not demeaning that. And that can be a tremendous breakthrough. And I, and I, I love that. It's awesome. And you don't understand that if you've always had a house. But my house used to have wheels on it. No offense. I'm telling my story, not yours. And so, so to, to me and my wife, it, uh, when we got our first house, man, that was a breakthrough, and rightly so. But, but, but everything has to be for our lives be in context of what it means to be a believer. Matthew 6, 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If you seek first the kingdom, you seek second nothing. There's not a second seeking. It's not seek first the kingdom, seek second this, seek third this, seek fourth this. None of that's true. The verse says what it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now that verse is smack dab in the middle of context of Jesus talking, telling people not to worry about what they're going to eat and drink tomorrow. It's not saying don't be concerned about food and don't plant a crop and expect a harvest and all that kind of stuff. It's saying don't worry about those things. Don't live your life consumed with worry about those things because that's not living. And the example Jesus does is he points at a sparrow. And he says, see that bird that's worth less than two pennies? Do I not feed that bird? Do I not clothe that bird? Do I not care for that bird who does not have a barn to store food in and it neither plants nor harvests yet not one of them will fall out of that tree to the ground that I don't know about it. Or then he says this bomb, are you not more valuable than birds to me? So God said, stop worrying. You're not going to be able to charge God with child neglect. David said, I'm old, I have been young, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's the orphan spirit. That's the person that says, I've got to provide for myself. And they don't realize nor recognize that they have a father. They have a father. And again, it's commit thy way to him. Trust in the Lord. He'll bring it to pass. He'll, he'll bring it to pass. There's an awesome story. It's been years since I've talked about it in 1 Samuel 9. And this is before Saul becomes King Saul, the old covenant. And it's just a simple mundane thing that happened. He, his dad has donkeys. That would be like automobiles to us today or tractors or whatever all the things they used them for. They're very valuable in other words. And it says in 1 Samuel 9 and 3 that the donkeys of Kish, this is Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, please take one of the servants with you and arise and go and look for donkeys. So they, you know, it's, it's a mundane job. Donkeys are gone. We don't know how they got out. They're not around here. We got to find them. Go find them, son. Take a servant with you, go find, go find our donkeys. And so in verse 5, it says, When they had come to the land of Zuth, 
Aren't you glad you're not from Zeph? Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. The word Zeph, there's all these little hidden wonderful nuggets in the Bible. The word Zeph in Hebrew means give up. I've had enough. See, some people are on a journey and they're going through life and they just, we all experience this, you want to give up. I've had enough. Just give up. Whatever, give up what? Give up whatever it is. See, everybody wants a breakthrough, but they don't want anything to break through. In other words, you want a breakthrough, but you don't want any walls in front of you. <laughs> you can't have a breakthrough unless there's something that needs to be broken through. You can't be an overcomer unless there's something to come over. Come on now. What is, what is the wall that's trying to separate you? See, every, all your answers is on the other side of not giving up. Everything you need is on the other side of not giving up. Every breakthrough you have waiting on you is on the other side of not quitting and not giving up. Not being a settler. Settlers are called settlers because they settle. Saul said, let's go home. We, we've not found the donkeys. Uh, now, when I start preaching or talking about King Saul, everybody kind of in the Bible and read the Bible, you know the end of the story. You know the dude doesn't end up very well. And you can tend, because of that information, to have a biased view of him. But I want to say this to you. God did not set up Saul to fail. He was not predestined to fail. God chose this guy, picked him to be the first king of Israel, and God did not set him up to be a failure. God set him up to succeed, but he, he made decisions that were not good. Judas Iscariot, handpicked by Jesus as one of the 12 chosen disciples, was not picked to fail. That's a wrong, messed up religious mindset. God didn't, Judas was made the treasurer not to fail. God didn't set him up and put him in a trap, an entrapment. He was set up to succeed, but he made decisions based on fear. Do you understand that a lot of people preach about Judas Iscariot like he was this guy that just, you know, that loved money and was money grubbing? The Bible said he had the bag of money. He was in charge with it, which kind of blows away the thing that the disciples and Jesus didn't have any money because if you don't have any money, you don't need any treasurer. They had more money to know what to do with. They never one time in the New Testament said, we don't have any money. One time they're confronted with thousands of people that are hungry, and the disciples didn't say, we don't have no money. The disciples' response was, there's no place for us to buy food for this many people. They had the money. They could have drove, but Walmart wasn't open. So, they, so Judas had the money. But you got to understand that Judas Iscariot was a zealot. Of that, of that group, a very radical group of Jews who, was, who, who their agenda, their, their manifesto was to overthrow Roman authority and for the Jews to be back in charge of the city of Zion of Jerusalem again. And at any cost, violence, rioting, whatever. This is the same type person that Barabbas was. He was a zealot. And he had... He had caused a riot and that's why he was on death row and Judas sold Jesus out yeah for 30 pieces of silver only because he thought 
that if he sells Jesus out and he leads these soldiers to where the disciples' secret place was, and he knew that they were armed with some swords, that when those soldiers went to take Jesus, that those disciples will pull their swords and the fight will be on and Judas would get what he wanted, a riotous revolt against Roman authority. And to his amazement, Jesus told them to put up their swords. And he went with them quietly and peaceably. Judas' plan failed. He wasn't just trying to get 30 pieces of silver in his pocket. He could reach and get in the money and pull out what he wanted. The books were not being balanced every week by some outside auditing firm. And we miss these nuances and these things. And so now King Saul is going to be king. He don't know that he's going to be king yet, but he's got something on the inside of him, just like you've got something on the inside of you. And so they're looking for donkeys. They don't find them. And then we have this New Testament verse that I want to read. 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15. I want to read it out of the New International Version because it says it so clearly, so beautifully. It says, it says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. That is a huge statement. But now in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. In the New King James, I mean, it, says, it says sanctify your heart. And then it says this, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, listen, I don't mean this condemning or nothing, but I just want to ask a question to try to just kind of, you know, peg a, a spot on the wall here. When's the last time some person, known or unknown to you, came up to you and asked you a question for why are you so hopeful? Why are you so peaceful in a tumultuous time? What, what, what makes you different? Why are you not worried? Why do you not seem afraid? Why do, are you not on drugs? Why can you sleep at night? I mean, when's the last time that a person saw so much of the kingdom of God in you that they came to you to ask you for the reason for the hope that you have? And I don't, again, I don't mean that to condemn you or to belittle you or make you feel like you're, you know, you're a bad Christian. I'm just saying, man, we... we we, we've got to display on the outside what's on the inside. See, if you're in a storm and you're on the boat with a bunch of believers and you need something done about the storm, go wake up the dude that's asleep. Because that dude that's asleep has already proved to you that he has authority over that storm because he's not letting it take his worry and he's not pacing about it. He's, done take, he's asleep. He's doing what you should be doing. Okay, are you with me? And so they go awake Jesus up and they tell him we're in a bad storm. And Jesus says, peace, be still. Where do you think that peace came from? Came from him. He had peace, and so he released to the outside what was on the inside. See, God's not telling us that the, the peripheral natural world doesn't matter to him. It does, but it's not the main thing. Paul said everything that you can see with your eyes is temporal, passing away. Everything you cannot see is eternal. And if you lose that aspect, if you lose that that, that, that focus that what's real and what's not real, 
what's going to burn one day and what's not going to burn one day. I mean, you got you got to understand that's 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 our calibration point. That's what keeps us centered in the in the will of the Lord, and that we can walk out the destiny that God has for us. So set your heart, you know, apart as Christ is Lord. It's what he said. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that you have. And But then he says this, but do this with gentleness and respect. Don't be, do it with gentleness and respect. Don't be like, what are you, you know, don't do that. See, it says to give an answer when they come and ask you. You know what our problem has been, I think, at least at some points in the church. We have tried to answer questions that people are not asking. They're not asking us the questions. They're not asking. That that should really just kind of a kind of sober us to like why, why are they not asking us? What what, what are we missing here? What, 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 why aren't we being asked the questions? We want people to be concerned about eternity where they'll spend eternity in their life and all these things and these your destiny and your purpose. And we got people worried about food, clothing, and shelter. They're consumed with just trying to survive. They're, they're consumed with just the, the mundane going to work, clock in, clock out, pay the bills. Do I, am I going to make it? They ain't got time to worry about destiny, purpose, future. They're just trying to make it today. And that's really sad. And so they're just looking for donkeys. Like, do you want to grow up to be a person that looks for donkeys? Isn't that your dream job? Not really. 1 Samuel 9 and 15 says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear, the day before Saul came. Now, God's using the prophetic here. In verse 16, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him as commander of my people Israel that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. This is his destiny now. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come to me. Now, let me just make this statement to you. God at any moment can bring someone or something into your life that will cause you to go from looking for donkeys to finding your destiny. And God's saying through to this prophet about this time tomorrow. And I just want to say to you, about this time tomorrow, your life could change. That's how, that's how close you are to a breakthrough. About this time tomorrow. About this time tomorrow. That's how quick things can change in our life. And you can get help sometimes from the most unlikely of people. I, I call these people our destiny links. Some people are just... Just, they'll just walk in your office. They'll just, they'll just, they'll seek you out. You don't know how, well, how'd you, how'd you hear about me? Or they'll, they'll come offer you a job and that you ain't even applied for. <laughs> they'll just bring you money. <laughs> I'm serious. I remember when I uh, was praying, this is many years ago, and most of you know I was the chief of the emergency medical service in Tifton for, for 12 years. I was held the t chief position, and uh, but I worked there 20 years. 
and 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 I, you know, and I and I had in my heart that I, I wanted a change in my in my job. I love my job. I love being a paramedic, but I was gone so much. And when my first child was born, when Justin was born, one played these drums this morning. When he was born, ah, man, that made it even tougher because we, if we we went to work twenty four on forty eight off. And if you just did that, you was 56 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. And we never did just that. Because when that ambulance left to go to Augusta or Atlanta or Jacksonville or wherever, then the off-duty, us off-duty guys had to come in and cover. So, I, and this is no exaggeration. I mean, it was common to work 48 straight. I've worked many 72 hours straight, and I've worked 96 hours straight. And, and, you know, it puts money in your pocket, but you miss being home. And I started crying out as a believer, just crying out to God. I, I just, I got to have a change. And, and, and in, my, in my little pea brain, I just said, I'm going to, you know, I looked around and I thought, I'm going to get me a job. I'm just going to pick where I'm going to work. <laughs> and I said, I'm going to go work for Georgia Power because them dudes look happy and they're making a lot of money. And I like working outside, so I ain't scared of electricity. Let's go to Georgia Power. And I went and applied, took the test, and it qualified me for so many, you know, positions, this and that. And I've told you this, some of you this story before. But the point is, that was my plan. And I had to go every 90 days to renew my application because there were so many people trying to get on with George Power in those days, and they would throw your application in the trash can if you didn't personally go every 90 days and sign, re-up your app to keep it fresh. And I, I wasn't playing, man. And I, I would drive to Val Austin, sign my app, and keep it fresh here. I would drive to Tifton and do it, and I did it to Albany to the regional office, and I did it in Waycross. And I just told God, I'll move wherever. I'm just ready to be, you know, be home. And uh, I guess I wasn't thinking about them hurricanes and stuff. <laughs> but it just never happened. It never happened. And after a while, I got tired of driving to all these four cities, and I dropped off Albany and Waycross. And then before long, I dropped off driving to Val Austin. Before long, I stopped going by Tifton, and I just said, and I remember standing in my office one day or the ambulance service in Tifton, and I said this to God. And just in my heart, I didn't like, but I could take you to the very spot in that place where I heard God's voice right after I said what I said to him. I just told God, I said, God, I understand you. <laughs> Have you ever started a statement like that to God? <laughs> How stupid is that statement? As if we're supposed to understand God. I just said, God, I understand you. I've been praying for years to get a job where I could work eight to five and be home with my family and be at church on the weekends, and, and you ain't answered my prayer none. Bad English, too, by the way. <laughs> and when I said that, I just said that. I didn't even consider that a prayer. I considered it more like a gripe. It was a complaint in the complaint box of God. You know what I'm saying? And I heard God, and people always ask this question, was it audible? Yes. To me it was. It was audible from the inside. It's like a guy talking to you and you're in a 55-gallon drum with him. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what I mean. And I heard God say, there's a job right under your nose I've called you for you've never even applied. I couldn't believe it. The chief of our emergency medical service had resigned. He had been gone since May. May, June, July, August, September, October, November, we did not have a chief. I made the statement to God in November. The job had been open the whole time. 
chiefs from other counties all over the state had come and applied. The county had not hired anyone because God had a plan for me. And I remember I went to one of the shift supervisors, shift captains, and I said, I want you to get me an appointment with uh, Mr. Charles Kent, chairman of Tiff County Commissioners. I want to apply for the job. This honest God truth. He actually went. <laughs> he did that. <laughs> He's laughing at me. I'm 26 years old at that time. I have no position of rank or authority. I'm a street medic. And I want to apply for the chief's job. No wonder he went. And then he said, I'll get you, I'll get you an interview. And I did the interview. The chairman was kind. He's a great man. He's dead now. One of the greatest people I've ever worked for. Chairman of county commissioners. And at that point, we didn't have county managers. He was it. He was the, he was the county manager. And I went and interviewed with him. And he said, you know what? He said, nobody's ever kept this job more than 24 months since the enamelment service has started in Tifton in 1972. We have never been able to keep a man in this position. Because he, the stress just gets them. You sure you want to apply for this? I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, you're mighty young. You'll be supervising men much older than you. How do you know you can handle that? I just said, I believe I can. He said, well, thank you for coming in. We appreciate it. And that was the end of the interview. I didn't leave there feeling like I had the job. But I knew that God said I had the job. Me and my wife lived in a little old single-wide trailer in Sparks, Georgia. And I remember going home that night, laying in the bed, started having chest pains and anxiety attacks. And I'll never forget it. She looked at me that night and she said, this job going to kill you before you even get it. <laughs> Y'all see her sitting here all meek and mild at church. Y'all know that woman here cut you up, boy. She's just going to kill you. You know why I was feeling the weight? Because I knew in myself I didn't have the, I just didn't have, I didn't have it. But yet I knew that God wouldn't have spoken to me in that kind of a voice if he wasn't going to give it to me. So about the second week of December, the chairman of the commissioners called me back over to his office. He said, you know what? He said, I've been thinking about this. I'm going to give you a, a, a chance. I'm going to give you the job. He said, but this is what we're going to do. It's just going to be between me and you. It's going to be a 90-day trial period because you're so young. So inexperienced. He said, but I'm going to give you the job. You start January 1. And he said, after three months, I'm going to evaluate the job you've done over the 90 days. If I like it, I'll leave you in. If I don't, you go back on the street. How's that? He said, after 90 days, if you don't like it and you want to go back on the street, you can do that. No hard feelings. I said, yes, sir, Mr. Kent. Go do it. I wasn't even worried about it. Started the job actually on January the 2nd. Because for the first time in my life as a paramedic, I had a holiday. Because I'm the boss. So I didn't have to come in on January 1. And I came in on January 2nd and then commenced the hell in the hallway. At 8, I remember I had a shift captain who was one of the dudes that actually sat and interviewed me when I was hired. This shift captain, when he found out I was going to be the chief, he started growing pork, what I call pork chop sideburns into his mustache. You know what I'm talking about? Which was against county policy for paramedics and you couldn't have all that. So he started, he started growing that just for my benefit in December. <laughs> I 
And he, it wasn't that I had a problem with it. It's just the county rules. And at 8 o'clock, he shows up to work looking like Elvis on steroids, you know, with that. And I know I'm going to have to tell him that he's got to shave. And at 8.15, on my first day on the job as chief, I have the shift supervisor who was hired, was one of the men they hired when they started enamelment service. And I had him in my office at 8.15, and he's dead and in heaven now knows better. But I said, listen, I said, you got to go shave. You know you can't have that, all that mess you got going there. And he just did this. He, this was his... <laughs> And then his face would start turning red, you know. And that was very intimidating to a lot of people. And I was just sitting there, and I said, listen, man, I'm not kidding you. I said, you go to that bathroom, and you shave that mess off, or you go get in your truck, and you go to the house. That's your choice. He just stared at me. It seemed like for five minutes. I know it wasn't probably long. And he just stomped out of my office, went. You know what I did? I heard him in that bathroom. <laughs> I was like, thank God. First devil down, 8.15. And for 12 years, God taught me a lot of stuff that would help me later in what God's called me to do. I learned how to handle other folks' money that wasn't mine. I started with a $368,000 a year annual budget for our department. And when I left there 12 years later, it was $1.1 I started with 12 employees, me being one of them, left there with 34 learn how to work with people. And it didn't mean I was perfect, but I learned a lot of lessons in those 12 years. And I still hold the record of the longest tenure of any chief in Tiff County as EMS. You know, maybe somebody will beat me one day. I doubt it. <laughs> that was a breakthrough, and God blessed us. You know what, what was another rattling thing, though? As a street medic, I was making about $26,000 a year, all the overtime and stuff. And when they gave me the job and said, you're now the chief, you work eight to five or however long it takes you to get the job done, you know. They said, now your salary is going to be $19,500 a year gross. That's a cut, y'all. I got promoted to the chief and got a pay cut. And I, it never entered my little pea brain that I, the chief would make less than us. No wonder they can't keep a guy more than 24. You know what I'm thinking? And that's the truth. And no possibility of me earning any more money. I'm, on, I'm a salaried employee now. I'm department head. And I remember walking out of that commissioner's office just like, God, how am I going to make it? How are we going to pay our bills? We were barely getting by on the $26,000 a year. My wife didn't work. She was keeping babies at the house. And, and it makes you go, did I hear God? What, what's the deal here? Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Commit your ways unto him. Trust in the Lord, and he will bring it to pass. The very next few weeks, literally few weeks, I took the job, and I was like, how are we going to make it? And then we got invited to a cookware dinner. I didn't want to go to a cookware dinner. But why if we went to a cookware dinner? So we went. And, and then the guy did stainless steel and town craft and all this stuff and he made a big 10-course meal and we all ate. And then the guy come along the next day and tried to, you know, sell us cookware, you know, met with everybody, set appointments that night. And of course, I didn't buy no cookware. That cookware was like $1,500 back then. 
my God, that's more my, more my Volkswagen I'm driving out here in the yard. I mean, <laughs> I really was driving a Volkswagen. And uh, I can't do that. But the guy said, you know, he offered me a job. You, you guys don't know how shy I used to be as far as this kind of deal. I be, I'm the guy that took the zeros in school before I get up and talk. I'm that guy. And so even when we were first married, you, know, you just don't understand. She would tell you the truth. I was so nervous around people. If I got in a crowd of people like we go go out to eat, so I'm not going to eat because my stomach, my nerves go right. All my nerves are wired to my stomach. And I, I would be so nervous. And I just, I, I would tear my food up with my fork. I would like lay a, a napkin over top of it because I was embarrassed that I couldn't eat. Is that the truth? I hated that kind of stuff. I didn't want to go nowhere. I didn't want to. Uh, you know, I mean, I was fun on the individual basis, you know, I thought. But, I mean, I just didn't want to be around all, I just got nervous around a bunch of people in that kind of environment. You just don't know. Long story short, I took the job as a cookware guy. Got trained doing it. I remember they had this thing they called a whopper chopper. And you would, you know, you cut up all the vegetables and do all this stuff in front of the people and make coleslaw because you give that gift to them if they'll just have a party. It makes them, you know, gets the women all excited. Yeah, I want that gift, you know, and we'll book a party, we'll give it to you. And I remember the first dinner I'd done, you know, I was in there, you know, cutting up the cabbage, you know. You know, and you got this whole dialogue you're doing with these people, and I'm doing it in front of all these people, and you got four, five, ten couples out there, and I'm doing all, and I'm cutting my hand up. I'm bleeding. It's not honest to truth. I remember I went back in the kitchen because Jill would be in there preparing the stuff. Next thing I'd bring out and this and that and demonstrate. And I went in there and I walked in the kitchen one time and said, my God, I'm bleeding to death out here. <laughs> and I said, ask the hostess, does she have any Band-Aids? And I had to take time out in there and I was saying, I hope all that that's in the coleslaw is the radishes. <laughs> God says, you can sanctify it with prayer though. We'll serve it to the people. Glory to God. I was, and, and I think, did we, I think, I, did I even sell anything that first dinner? I saw one pot or something like that. God, be careful when you tell people you sell pots. <laughs> and I did that. And we, we did that for years. And God used that little, you know what he done? He got me to be over the fear of talking in front of people because I had to do it. And we did these dinners. And my God, I was so successful at that through with God's help. We won a trip. We, we went on a trip on a cruise, the, the uh, SS Emerald Seas. When, when me and my wife got married in 1980, they, there was a program called The Love Boat, and she just loved that program. It was real popular. Anybody remember that? Y'all that old? And she always wanted to go on a cruise, but when we got married, we couldn't afford no cruise. We cruised all the way to Florida for our, for our honeymoon. <laughs> but we couldn't afford, we couldn't do no cruise. And it's like God brought that dream back to her, and, and one of the first things I did in that in that uh, Towncraft Cookware Company is I want a free trip to the Bahamas cruise, four-day cruise. I didn't even want to go. And we won the trip. And I remember we got on that boat that night in Miami and set out, and, and the guy came out on the show and started singing the, the song, The Love Boat. And I looked over her, and her eyes was just like sparkling. I mean, God had fulfilled her dream. You know what I'm saying? I mean, she was... You know, anyway. God knows what you want. He knows your dreams. He knows your desires. Sometimes they don't happen when you want them to happen. God, just trust God. I did that for six years. God blessed us. We made more money. 
he just blessed me. He was so successful. In fact, I was so successful that the, the company come to me wanted me to quit my EMS job and just go full-time with them. I just never felt that was God's plan for my life. And after six years, it seemed like the embers of that kind of, for me, burned out, and I just didn't want to do that anymore. It wasn't that I was lazy. I just didn't want to do it anymore. And as soon as that quit, a guy walked in my office from Moultrie, Georgia, over Moultrie. He was an off-campus coordinator for Moultrie Technical College. He said, uh, Miss Young, I, we want to talk to you about being a paramedic and EMT instructor and set up a campus here in Tiston. He said, would you be interested in that? And long story short, I did. That was before they had a campus in Tifton. But I taught that for, for six, seven years. It made a lot of money. God blessed us and able to, for her to be able to stay home, keep our kids at home. God's working those things out in your life, but my life is more than just a house or a car or a job. And yours is too. Yours is too. See, the, the, the Bible says that they went looking for these donkeys. God told the prophet, let me just verbally tell you the rest of it without having to read all that. God said, when you go see this son of Benjamin, this Saul, I'm going to the prophet said to him, I'm going to reveal to you, son, what's already in your heart. See, listen, what your destiny is already in your heart. It's not out there. It's already in your heart. And sometimes you need the prophetic to draw it out like drawing water out of a well. The prophetic can draw that out of your heart. They can bring it from a, and, and draw it out of you and sometimes bring it up where you can see it. And see, it was already in his heart to be king. Old Saul put up a lot of excuses too why he couldn't be king and I'm from this and I'm the least of this and I'm the least of that. Just like Gideon did, just like Moses did, just like a lot of people did, just like you and I do. When God calls you to do something, the first thing you encounter is your own negativity to your own self. And you got to cut that out, man. If God's big enough to call you, he's big enough to equip you to carry you through. And we think that Saul should be asking big questions about his life if that's in his heart. But he's not. He's just consumed with the mundane looking for donkeys. Now, the prophet does this to Saul. He says, listen. And he gave him a prophetic word. But you know what the prophetic word that King Saul needed? Not that thou shalt be the king of Israel and be the great commander. No, he didn't need that word. He wasn't even concerned about that church stuff. You know what word he needed? I need to fulfill the mission my dad sent me on, man. I'm concerned about them donkeys. So the word of the Lord to Saul was, those donkeys you're concerned about, don't worry about them. They have been found. Now, once you answer the question that's first and foremost on the mind of people, then you can open them up and position them to ask the questions about their life and destiny that they should be asking. But you can't ask a man where, you know, about eternity if his stomach's growling. That's why you have to feed them a biscuit and then talk to them about Jesus. That's why if they're sick in their body and dying of a disease, don't try to get them saved. Just lay hands on them and pray and heal them in Jesus' name. And then tell them about Jesus. You know why you healed? Because Jesus did this. They're a lot more easier to get saved that way. I used to didn't know that God could do that. I thought they had to be Christian. Man, God just heals, saves, loves. It's just his nature. He's just good like that. He's just good like that. And, and, and so when we, the church, if we will answer the questions that's on their heart, like how am I going to make it? Where are my donkeys? Where's my next meal? What's going to happen? 
I'm worried about the country. What about the COVID? If we'll answer those questions, if we know the answers to their natural things, it positions them to start asking the questions that will reveal what God's already put in their heart for their destiny. I, I don't know if I'm making sense to you today, but this is all I felt all week to talk about. Every one of you have a wonderful destiny, and we're all called to do different stuff. And I'm not done yet. And don't you ever let a calendar or a watch or any kind of thoughts like that dictate to you your value or your purpose for God. I think they even say in one of the Psalms here, but if you're, if you're breathing, you've got a purpose. God, you, you, God's got a purpose for your life. And you may be in a season where it's just not like super fun. And there's all kind of ways and, 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 and things in the life. It's, it's more than about self-achievement. And if I got the house I want, you, you're never, I, it's my belief, maybe you're different, but you're not going to ever get the house that you want. Because once you get in there, you're going to want to change something. So it wasn't the one you wanted. It's just, part of that's just a gift that women have too, that they have really gifted in that. No offense, don't throw nothing at me, don't send me no email. But you do seem to be more gifted in that. I just look at my wife now and say, it's never going to end. We've been married over 40 years. It's not ended yet. I have no confidence it will ever end. And so last week I was taking bulbs out of the bathroom light fixture because there are cloudy bulbs, coverings, what you call them? Globes. Oh, excuse me. So we had to get rid of the cloudy, can't see through globes and get clear globes. But they got a few little specks in it. So we took those three and put, and I'm good with that. Hey, new globes. You know I could care less what globes we got in the bathroom. You know what I'm saying? But it's important to me because it's important to her. And so, she, you know, I, I put them in and she, she seemed happy. You're as appreciative. You know? But it's not going to end because things change, styles change. You know, I've done so long now, you know, brass was in and then it went to stainless and then it went to nickel and now I don't know what it is now. It just always changes. Because, see, there's somebody figured that out out there in the world that sells stuff and they got to keep it changing for them to have a jobby job. <laughs> but what doesn't change is God's plan and desire for you. And stop agonizing and sweating bullets over what God's call is on your life. Do you know, brother, do you know the call of God? Yeah, I know the call of God. Show forth Jesus in everything that I do. Seek first the kingdom of God and stop trying to be righteous on your own and his righteousness. My identity is not by something I've achieved. It's something I received by birth. Your identity is by birth. And so as soon as God reveals his his, his destiny for your life. Jesus, you're, you're, you're my son. I'm well pleased. What does the first thing that happens to Jesus? A demonic voice says to him, if thou art the son of God. Well, dude, you was in the meeting. You heard him just like everybody else. But what you're trying to get me to do is doubt my own identity. The first thing Satan always does when he wars against you is he always challenges your identity as a Christian. If you are the son of God, 
then why are you in the wilderness? Why don't you have food to eat? Why don't you turn this stone into bread? Where's your daddy at? I thought you was saved. I thought you was a Christian. Why did you act like that? Why did you curse that man out? I thought you was a Christian. Why did you? And here he goes after your identity. And he tries to rattle you because if you don't know who you are, and if you don't know how you got who you are, you got it by birth, not by behavior. I'm not endorsing bad behavior, but I'm saying your, your identity come out of birth. You're born again. Your citizenship is in heaven. God's your father. Your, your righteousness has been gifted to you. It's the gift of righteousness, Paul said. And then you live out of that. And we want to display that. We want to display it in such a level. And right now, with everything's going on in this world and COVID, all this stuff's going on, there's never been a greater platform, I believe, for us to show forth the peace of God that allows us to sleep through storms and for people to wake us up and ask us what is the reason for the hope that you have. And, and I don't believe it's an obscure thing. I believe people will ask us, well, what makes you different? Well, you just seem to be so happy. You don't seem to be worried. You know, I mean, you're concerned, but you don't seem to be worried. You, you, you know, you, you're not having to take a pill, go to sleep, and want to get up. I mean, what's different? What, what's your deal? Well, you don't have to be religious. My deal's Jesus, man. I tried religion, that didn't work, but I got, I, it's, just, it's just Christ in me, the hope, the glory. God's not done with America. This thing ain't over. God's got purpose, plan, destiny, future. I, I, I don't want you to ever live like I lived when we were first married, but it wasn't entirely my fault. In fact, I don't think it was my fault much at all. But with the most sincere heart, did I not live every year I thought this is it? Because we were just drilled in any minute rapture. Just drilled. God can come for you and get to the car. I remember being 14, praying to God for him not to come until I at least turned 16 and got my driver's license. I begged God not to come back. I wanted to drive around. I didn't feel like they had no cars in heaven. I'm serious. But I remember being in church, and them preachers was just like, God's coming. And then they started setting dates. He's going to come in 1985. Then, you know, that guy wrote the book, 84 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming in 84. And he didn't come in 84. And then he wrote one more reason why I missed it in this 85. You know. and, all, and the church eats that stuff up, and they buy them books like crazy. Guy, you know, a few years ago, bought billboards all in Florida. I used to see him. I traveled down there. You know, and he had the date set September to whatever the Lord's coming. That date came and gone, billboards down, and Jesus didn't come. And I live like that. And every year, with sincerity, we would put up the Christmas decoration, and I would say this to my wife, you know, when we were first married, we lived in a little, I said, this would be the last year we ever put these up. We know when we get them out for the next year, I said, this would be the last year right here. Before next Christmas, the Lord will surely be, have come. It used to make her so sick. But she put up with me. I was sincere. Because I was drilled that. You come next Sunday, you're going to learn something about that. And I'm going to talk to you about these feasts of the Lord and God's timetable and what he's doing. That he got clearly in that book. Not some weird prophecy because I had pepperoni, you know, and anchovies on my pizza. But what the word of God says. God's always had one calendar he's always worked off of and he's going to continue to work off of it. And that way you don't have to be freaked out about all this other stuff. Are you with me? I want you to stand.
Don't struggle with your destiny. It's inside you. It's in there. You, 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 may, you, you may not be aware of it. And whatever it takes to, for God to awaken that in you, let me tell you, it's going to happen. If, do, you, do you want to walk in the Lord's plan and will and destiny for your life? That's, that's either yes or no. Do you want that, though? Okay, if the answer to that is yes, you got no worries. You, you, it, it's, I'll tell you the most difficult. See, this is how the church has taught us. It's so easy to miss God, brother. No, it ain't. It is so hard to miss God as a child of God. How's that one? That's a good one to go home and eat chicken on. It's, it, it's, it's, it's impossible to miss the will of God for your life because God's going to make it plain to you. God's going to reveal it. And you know what you have to do? You actually have to rebel against his will. You have to know it and then walk around it, turn and go away from it. God is going to make it so clear to you what his will is for your life. He, and and, and I'm, I'm telling you, that's the truth. And, and how, how do I get there? Relax. Delight yourself in the Lord. Just worship the Lord. Just allow your heart to just be filled with God. And then just, then just say, ask yourself, what do I want to do? It might not be what your parents did always vocationally, and that's okay. What do you want to do? Well, I want to, that's the will of God for you. And God's big enough that if he don't want you to do it, he'll tell you. See how easy that was? What do you want to do? I, I can't tell you over these last decade and a half when people come in my office, well, what, what, I don't know what God, I'm struggling over the will. I, 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 that's how I always, what do you want to do? They always look so, so shocked. I, did, I thought it was God telling me to, listen, if you don't want to go to Africa and live in a hut, God's not going to tell you to do it because that's not what he's called you to do. But if God's called you to do that, that's going to be the best place. That's going to be better than the rich garden for you. Because you're going to be in the center of God's will and purpose for your life. You understand what I'm trying to say? What do you want to do? What's in your heart? Well, it's in my heart to have a family. Well, you got a husband or a wife? Well, no. Well, that's coming then. Look at there. Kids, is, kids are coming. They're on the way. God's got those, those things for you. But don't live your life limited as a Christian just to your breakthroughs being about natural, earthly things. Set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. That means God's not. That doesn't mean that God's not concerned about the natural things and about whether you have a house and the car you drive. Uh, yeah, God's concerned about. He said the hairs of your head are numbered. But what God is saying is, don't live your life like that. Amen. I bless you today. In Jesus' name, Amen. God bless you. We we'll see you next Sunday.